Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today's episode is a very exciting one for me as it marks the 50th episode of For Your Listening Pleasure. And I couldn't think of a better guest to have on than Andy Ripolito. Andy is the owner of Plants Delivered Chicago, an online plant shop. But in March of 2020, Andy started Feeding People Through Plants, a nonprofit that aims at helping those in need. At first, it started with helping with the fight against food insecurity and hunger that plagues Chicago's communities. Since its creation, he has partnered with organizations like the Greater Chicago Food Depository and has donated over 95,000 meals to those in need. Recently, Andy has taken to the streets of Chicago and has been providing resources such as food, tents, heat, blankets, clothing, and hotel stays to our neighbors experiencing homelessness to ensure people survive this winter season. He's also been helping connect those individuals with employment opportunities, mental health resources, addiction treatment, and housing programs. Andy truly represents what this podcast is all about, and I hope those listening feel inspired to give what they can during this holiday season. If you're interested in donating to Feeding People Through Plants or learning more, feel free to check out the links within this episode's show notes. This is the last episode of 2022. We have some amazing guests lined up for this new year. And thank you all so much for your support over the last year and for getting this podcast to its 50th episode. There's so many more inspiring and unique stories to tell in the new year. And I hope that you and your family and loved ones have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. Andy, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This is actually a very exciting episode since this is the 50th episode of For Your Listening Pleasure. So it's an honor to have you. For some listeners who maybe don't know who you are, would you mind just giving a brief introduction? Yeah, totally. Uh, no, thanks for having me on, Mallory. Um, so yeah, my name is Andy Robledo. Uh, I am the founder and owner of a couple companies, uh, Plants Delivered Chicago. And that's a for-profit company where I sell plants, deliver them right to your door. And then I also have a nonprofit that's called Feeding People Through Plants. Um, so what we do is uh, use our plant sales to um, feed people experiencing street homelessness and food insecurity. Uh, and then really provide basic survival tools throughout the winter. You were not always like a plant guy. What I found really interesting when we spoke last was you were in the corporate world. You were in the grind. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you and a little bit of how um, how you were a lot different back then, I guess is the best way to say, but I'll let you tell the story. Yeah, no. So um, I was in the corporate world before I um, I worked in software sales, software and advertising sales um, for a little over a decade. Um, I've sold basically anything that you could sell um, from yeah, insurance to advertising to software to, you know, you name it. But um, I think when I got out of school, I saw like, hey, this is the path everyone was taking and I followed it. Um, and I did did really well. So um, you know, I was a sales manager at CareerBuilder.com. I was there for about five years. Uh, I was a top top producing uh, sales rep. Um, moved on, went to San Francisco, worked in the corporate world as well uh, as an account executive for um, for a startup there. Um, 
Yeah, it was just it was a very very different time back then. Um, so it was the the work hard, play hard life. It was just grinding to get the next promotion, to make money, and that's all life seemed to be about. Um, as long as I was taking the right vacations, hanging out with the right people, um, eating at the right restaurants, drinking the right things, had you know had the right car, everything seemed like it was great, and that's that's what the the circle around me all kind of aspired to. Um, and then one day I got to a point where I just, I felt so empty. I was like, is this, is this it? Like I've gotten promoted. I've been to all the Michelin starred restaurants, uh, from Alinea to the French laundry. And I thought, you know what, is this like, is this all that there is to life? Just like doing stuff for myself and like climbing up a ladder. Um, and I, I knew something had to change. So, um, so I went, I was soul searched for a little bit and then finally, um, you know, got to the point where I'm at now, but, but one part of that was you were a drinker, like you drink and I feel yeah. in corporate America, a lot of the networking events are all cocktail events or you're in sales. So you're taking out clients and what are you doing? You're eating and drinking, or you're sending nice bottles of wine as thank you gifts. Like there is a very big component of corporate life that aligns also with alcohol culture, and they kind of go hand in hand. Um, can you talk to our listeners a little bit about how not only were you kind of addicted to making that money and trying to keep up with the Joneses to say more or less, but how also your relationship with alcohol changed during those 10 years? Yeah, totally. So um, I think when you get into that world, you just follow what everyone else is doing around you you know you see what the next successful person is doing you and you 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 do it so um like i said i live the work hard play hard life and that was very much the culture i see it all across tech all across you know really any sales i worked in the trading world as well for a little bit and it was very much like all right let's get our work done and then let's go to happy hour or let's take out these clients or let's go do this um, and, um, yeah, I drank as much as anyone else around. I never did hard drugs. There was a lot of hard drug use that I saw, but I drank a lot, you know, and it was every day. Um, and it was, you know, that, Hey, I'm wearing a suit. I'm on the Metra. You grab a beer at the train station, you ride home with it. And that's just like the, it's really the, the culture. Um, and then after that, you go hang out with your friends and do things. So there's just so much socializing uh, that revolves around the corporate world, but just li living that life that is truly toxic. So after years of doing that, I got to the point where I just couldn't drink anymore. I had crippling anxiety. I would get up in the morning and not be able to move without like having, you know, panic attacks. And, you know, at first I thought it was just anxiety. So I got on anxiety medication and I went to therapy and I said, you know what? No, there's no way it could be alcohol. There's no way I'm just getting older. It's just anxiety. Um, and I just kept going, kept going hard. So I think a lot of, a lot of people, uh, put off the fact that like, yeah, maybe we are addicted and need to take a step back. So it wasn't until I quit cold Turkey, like just said, you know what, this is it. Like, I can't do this shit anymore. Um, that my life started to change. Um, and that's when I found my business. That's when I found really true meaning in life. It wasn't in like, promotions it wasn't in going to fancy restaurants it wasn't in like hanging out with all these friends and going and getting drunk at bars you know those people aren't around in my life anymore um but i, I was able to 
slow things down and find like what life was all about. And it, it definitely wasn't, wasn't there. And for those who are listening, who maybe this is really resonating with them, you didn't go to rehab, but you did go into like detox at a hospital, correct? I just want to make sure that people who are drinking every day just don't think, oh, they can just go cold turkey. There are some medical components to it. So to kind of work with either your health provider or someone, um, if you kind of feel like you're in the same boat. Yeah, it's super dangerous to quit on your own. Um, so I did go to the first time I tried to quit, I went to a medical detox and psychiatric facility. Um, like I said, I got to the point where life felt so meaningless and I just wanted to fucking die. I was like, you know what? This is worthless. I feel like shit every day. I don't. Um, so I checked myself in. I, um, I attempted to actually kill myself and take my life. Um, and, uh, and I just said, you know what? No, something needs to change. So I, um, I took a step away from that. I said, I need help, got the help I needed. Um, but yes, I met people in rehab in detox that said, hey, you know, I've done heroin, I've smoked crack, I've done meth. And the only one that almost killed me when I tried to quit it was alcohol. So alcohol is deadly. So yes, if you do try to quit or if you are drinking a lot, uh, do it under the supervision of a doctor, uh, go to a detox facility. Don't try to do it on your own because um, you, you can really, really get hurt. And I think that a lot of people might have either had like um suicidal thoughts or have attempted because a lot of people think like, can it get better? Does it get better? I don't see it getting better. And that's really like what mental illness is, is um you don't always see that light at the end of the tunnel. But what I love about your story and just like about how you really shifted is you sobered up, you stopped drinking, and then you kind of started to take a deeper look at what made you happy or figuring out what even happiness might look like for you. So you quit your mm -hmm. job. Can you talk to us about what that initial first stage kind of looked like? Yeah. So you know, really, I think the first step was I was in, I was working this trading job, working for a trading firm and, um, and they were great to work for um, and very supportive. Um, but I just didn't feel challenged. I never really feel, felt drawn to the work. I didn't feel satisfied by it. The money was good. I was making six figures, uh, but I had the flexibility to like, you know, quit early and go start drinking. Um, but things didn't truly start to change until I quit drinking. Um, and then instead of, you know, and, and then when I quit drinking, I had no hobbies. I, I was like, wow. Okay. I was the beer connoisseur and the Michelin star chasing guy. Um, and then all of a sudden I had no hobbies. So um, I think a lot of people, when they first quit, they like force themselves into like a bunch of hobbies or they put a lot of pressure on themselves to find like that next new thing. Um, and instead what I did is I just started taking walks. So I took walks every day and didn't put any pressure on myself. Um, I noticed that I wanted to start taking better care of myself and my like space. So I started nesting a little bit and getting things into my home. Um, and then it was through that, just taking aimless walks that I found my like first real hobby. So um, first it was, I finally had money in my bank account. I was spending uh, about 10 grand a month on alcohol. Um, so alcohol and going out. So when I stopped doing that after about a month of, uh, of just not drinking, I looked at my bank account and I was like, damn, I have a lot of money right now, or a lot of money for me. 
Um, and I'd always wanted an, a, an old truck. My grandfather had um, like old 1960s, 1970s Ford F100s. Um, and I thought, you know what? I'm finally going to do it. I've never been able to do this in the 10 years that I've made a lot of money and worked in the corporate world. But here, I'm going to pull the trigger on this truck. And all of a sudden, I had this blue 1970 F100 and I had a hobby. Um, and instead of taking walks, I took drives. Um, and then those drives eventually, um, turned into, um, like my business, which is, which is kind of cool. So I don't know if you want to get into that, I can get into it more. Yeah. Like how did you get into plants? Cause I know like for me, I had a friend who was really into plants and during the pandemic started to get into them. You can see some mm -hmm. in the background, but how did you like find plants or did plants find you, I guess? I think it was in that like nesting process. So when I was decorating my house, getting furniture, I had all the right furniture. Um, I had everything covered and I was dating a woman at the time. And she said, um, she was like, you know, you've done a really good job decorating this place on your own, but you know, it'd be really nice if you got a plant or two in here. And I I was like, really a fucking plant? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and she's like, here, just go to this shop, tell them you need like three or four small plants and see what happens. So I went to, uh, I got my blue truck, went to plant shop, Chicago, uh, shopped around, like told the person, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. Um, spent a few hundred bucks, brought the plants home and, and then I got it. I was like, Whoa, this is pretty awesome. Um, so I started putting around my house and then the next day I had a destination. So the next day I had a, like a new hobby. I had a place to go in my truck instead of driving aimlessly. I was driving to the next plant shop to check out what they had. Um, so that's kind of how, how plants, how I got, how I first got into it. It started with a couple of little ones and then, um, and then I just started getting more and more and more and more and more. And so now plants delivered Chicago is growing, um, and you still deliver, you now have a shop also in Pilsen, um, for those who are interested in like getting into the plant life or wanting to come and see what kind of plants, uh, does the shop really carry or specialize in? Yeah, so I'm 100% online only. So I do have a space in Pilsen. Um, I use it as a warehouse. We'll do pop-ups out of here. But really the need in the market that I saw was there was a lot, there's a lot of plant shops in the city. Um, there were a lot of online companies promising tall living room ready things. Um, and they'd ship them in the mail. But the gap in the market truly was like getting something that was actually tall um, delivered to your door safely. Um, so that's where I just, I, I offer online only plant sales. You order tall plants, I deliver them right to your door. Um, the typical like online competitors that promise a tall plant will give you like a two foot tall plant for 200 bucks. And I can do the same price for a six foot tall plant and it's not put in the mail. So, uh, but yeah, you can order online. I deliver right to your door. I do custom design for homes, offices, hotels, uh, photo shoots. I worked with Nike, Louis Vuitton, um, you know, timeout market, just a few of the big clients I have around the city. And then I was fortunate enough to meet you through a mutual friend of ours and you were having, it was for your birthday, but what I loved, it's something that I did last year for my birthday was to raise money for a nonprofits that are near and dear to your heart. And for you, you started feeding people through plants. Um, and that really started, I believe in 2020 
Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So in 2020, um, so I started my business in 2019. Um, 2019 is when the business started. And like I said, I've always like, I'd always wanted to find more out of life, like more, like I, I thought, you know, yeah, it'd be nice to have a job where I wasn't just selling something, you know, cause I'd done that a life. Um, and then when I started this business, you know, it was, yeah, again, just like selling plants, hustling, selling one plant at a time. But when COVID hit, that's when it hit me over the head. Like, wow, this is where I can turn this into something more than just another plant shop. Um, so at that point, I started donating 25% of my profits to the Greater Chicago Food Depository. Um, so I did that like on my own for a few months um, and raised like almost 40,000 meals for the GCFD uh, just on my own. And after uh, after a little bit, I thought, why am I doing this on my own? Like, why don't I ask other plant shops to join me in this? Um, so that's when Feeding People Through Plants was born. That was at the end of 2020. So I asked, you know, 25 different plant shops around the city, hey, would you like to join me in this collective virtual food drive for the GCFD? And they said yes. And um, in a year of doing that, we raised about, yeah, but I think we hit about 100,000 meals with the like collective 40,000 that I've done. So, um, so it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, so that's how feeding people through plants or like the name was born. Um, but then also come 20, 20, end of 2021, um, something happened, like something changed in me and I found a calling to do more than just raise money. You know, like I was raising money, I was giving to these organizations and I thought, okay, this is great. But like, you know, there's tents popping up all over the city, all over my neighborhood. Every day, there seems to be a new person experiencing street homelessness. Um, and I thought, like, is this money reaching them? Are these resources reaching them? Let me let me go check. Let me find out. Um, so that's where we really shifted gears. And I started providing direct support to people living living on the streets. And, and, I... and, it, be, and, it, became, and it became a nonprofit. So and it became a 501c3. And when we spoke last, uh, you talked about how your truck was broken into and they only, someone only took one thing. And then when uh, you later found where that one object went, can you tell us that story? Because I think that was so powerful. Yeah. So um, I kind of touched on the point that, you know, like my giving money was great, but I knew I needed to do something more. And that like aha moment, the the like, you know, thing that hit me over the head was uh, on a cold day. I had my blue truck parked out on Halstead and I rolled up and someone had broken the truck window. They broke the truck window and I had probably a couple hundred bucks in there. I had a pretty expensive sound system, you know, some expensive glasses, like all, all these things. And they didn't take anything. I was like, what? what do they take? Like, what do they do? Do they just like ransack my truck? Like what the hell? Um, and then, um, later on that day, I'd taken a drive, took a drive and I go past these camps every single day. Um, and on the drive, I saw a wheelchair next to one of the tents and I saw this blanket on it. And I was like, Oh shit. It's my blanket. That was in my truck. They like broke the window of my truck just to take my blanket um and it, it broke my heart and i 
Like that was, that was the moment when I said, okay, I need to do more. I need to get active and I need to see what's going on here. So that's when I did the first like warm gear drive and plant sale um, to directly help people experiencing street homelessness. Um, and that's when I started going out to the camps to distribute things. And that's where I learned like, Hey, like cool blankets and jackets are good, but like we need propane, we need heaters, we need gasoline, we need uh better tents. We need maybe a hotel every once in a while, maybe a shower. So, um, or just someone to like, listen to them, you know? Um, so that's really where, where the, where everything changed. So you have been called the dude with the orange tents and recently in the last month or so, um, these orange tents in Chicago have started to pop up. Uh, you've been featured on the sometimes Chicago, sometimes ABC news, all the big, you know, media outlets. And you've really been challenging mayor Lori Lightfoot about what is she doing to help with the homeless population. And especially as we're gearing up to winter, um, can you talk about why these orange tents are different um, and just kind of how everything really came about? Because I would say really quickly, things start to pick up speed for you. Yeah, so I started, um, so it all started last year. I started putting up tents last year and I never had any issues. So um, it was after like a hotel stay, there was a big cold front and um, I took 20 people to a, like a downtown hotel, like a Michigan Avenue hotel for two weeks. So we put them up in two, for two weeks, like with all the, you know, we did a ton of fundraising and uh, crowdsourcing, but um, yeah, I never had any problems last year. So then we went back to the camps, all, everything was destroyed. And I ended up building ice fishing tents for people. I thought, all right, everyone has these summer tents. They're not great. They don't hold heat. They like don't withstand the wind. How can I build it back better? And that's where the ice fishing tents came in. Um, and they worked, they worked out great last winter. They hold heat. They're much thicker material. Um, they're really dark too. They're like black. So like when you sleep in it, you're not bothered by like the street lights or like the, the blue lights that the city has been installing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it wasn't until this year that we really made some waves and I didn't think that like doing the right thing would be controversial. Um, so what I've noticed is like the status quo around the city is that, okay, we're just going to let people sit out there and suffer. And when someone dies, they go recover the body, they leave all the trash. And that's like how the city handles it. Um, the housing wait list take months, if not years. Um, and the city is like very well aware of every single one of these locations because they go on a regular ba- regular basis to not only clean sweep people's belongings illegally, uh, but also to, you know, they come by with a clipboard and just do their due diligence and offer everyone housing. They offer everyone to go to a shelter and they just say, okay, they said no. Um, but they aren't taking any real swift action, uh, which is fascinating. So um, yeah, Mayor Lightfoot talks about housing as a human right, you know, and uh, what you see out there like is a human rights offense and Mayor Lightfoot has blood on her hands for sure. And so does the, the administration. Um, so that's why I started just doing something. I was like, you know what, this isn't perfect. This isn't the best solution. The best solution is getting people housing, but this is better than what they have. And it gives people a fighting chance to maybe get to that one day when they can get called off that housing wait list, you know, to maybe get to that day where they think, all right, you know what, I'm ready to get sober today. 
Um, so many people are robbed of those days because, you know, they froze to death. There were 70 people that froze to death last winter. So, and I've already put up 70 tents this winter. So that's 70 lives that we're hopefully going to save. Um, but yeah, it didn't turn into anything controversial until I, um, started replacing tents at Clinton and Lake, uh, like Clinton, Fulton and Milwaukee. Um, so it's, uh, anyone familiar with the area? And for those listeners who are not in Chicago, it is a um, more expensive, higher end, upper like scale neighborhood that's also right by the big business district of Chicago. But it's very expensive condos and apartment buildings in that area. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's like very expensive, like sparkly, brand new buildings all around this area. And, uh, historically people have always camped out underneath these, these viaducts, like the camps aren't new. The people aren't new. I didn't bring them there. People were already there in just dilapidated tents that don't hold heat. So I came and offered a solution, something that not only looked better for the community, but that offered people a fighting chance this winter. Um, and that's when the complaints started rolling in. And that's when people started coming out and just saying like, how, dare you help them you shouldn't help them if you you know if you feed rats you just create more rats and it's like yo lady like these aren't rats they're they're people this could be your it could be your brother it could be your sister it could be you know your uncle it could be you you know what i mean um you know i guarantee you there are there's just as much alcohol and drug abuse in those sparkly high rises and walking around in louis vuitton and canada goose jackets as there are in those camps, you know, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a big overdose, like four, four big overdoses at a river North club, just blocks away from where we put tents up at a high end club. So it just, it's, um, it kind of, it blew my mind. I was like, wow, this is really happening. So the aldermen got tons of complaints and they made a special visit out to tag every single tent for removal. Um, they got the complaints on a Monday and they made a special visit that Tuesday. They never come out on Tuesdays. They come out every Thursday just to kind of clean around the tents. And then that's when it, you know, that's when the fight started. Um, I, uh, I just wanted to go out and build tents for people and kind of help folks out and improve conditions. And um, I didn't want to be an activist. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to, I, I didn't come to fight, but like I'm back down from a fight. And that's, uh, that's kind of what it turned into. So uh, fortunately, you know, it was front page news of the Tribune and the Sun-Times. It was on every single network, English and Spanish speaking in Chicago. Um, and the city so far, they've backed down. They haven't agreed to change any policy to protect people. They haven't officially made a statement. Their statement is, um, yeah, it's just misleading. Um, so they could take those tents at any time. They like reserve the right. But, but yeah, I mean, it's not going down without a fight. That's for sure. So. And I will say, like, I know exactly the area where you're talking about. I passed through it quite a bit. And I would also say, obviously, no one should be homeless. No one should be freezing. It's cold in Chicago now. And it's just the beginning. It's November. And I know they're talking about it's going to be one of the coldest winters we have coming up. But also, these tents are bigger. It gives individuals who are in that situation more privacy it really does like clean up the sidewalks and it's not kind of allows them to have that their own space without people walking past like staring at them so i also think that these tents are great because it 
doesn't allow them to have more shame as people are walking past because it's a privacy thing. They're warmer. And also Mm -hmm. if the city's not willing to help, what, what are we supposed to do? There's still people that need basic like heat, water, food. And so one thing I love about what you're doing is trying to figure out like, how can we raise more awareness? How can we get other local businesses and individuals involved to kind of help because we only succeed if everyone succeeds in society, I feel like, and maybe that's a naive or childish view, but I just think you never know what life can throw you and hard times do come with everyone and maybe people don't parents to help them or family. So how can you just let someone freeze to death? Yeah, no. And I think, I think, you know what, like, I think we all want the same outcome. The people, the NIMBYs in the fancy buildings that don't want people living underneath the viaducts. I don't think any, I don't want people living under the viaducts either. But I think what we need to agree on and what we need to use our collective energy for is pushing our aldermen and our mayor and our elected officials, our governors, um, like collectively, let's use our energies to push for housing. Why do people have to live in these conditions? Why do people have to live outside? There are the city estimates 1500 people living on the streets uh, right now in Chicago And in any given night between hotel stock and residential stock, there are between 60 and 67,000 available units available. So it's not a, there isn't a housing shortage. And this isn't even a conversation about affordable housing. Affordable housing doesn't solve homelessness. So um, there is a, there is, there's available properties there's just an unwillingness to solve the problem in a in a constructive way it would be great if like landlords or you know those who own those rental properties if like from the months of november till like april if they have vacant units work on a deal with the city where the city can help pay for them and just allow people to share you know if it's a two or three bedroom unit each have a bedroom or something because these individuals it's hard i think if you were homeless how do you get a job? How do you get out of that when this is where you're living? Everyone needs help a little bit to kind of get going, especially if those who are suffering from addiction or mental health, how are you supposed to get better if you don't even have like a warm room to sleep in at night? Yeah, it's hard to think about the next thing. Like, I don't know if you've ever had to be outside all day long in the freezing cold, but it's hard to think about anything besides getting warm. You know, or if you're hungry, like it's hard to think about anything besides like finding food. Um, if you feel unsafe, it's hard to think about anything besides getting safe. But like once you have all of those things taken care of, it opens up your capacity and your ability to think about other things and maybe see a a future of like, you know what, maybe I will get sober. You know what, maybe I will go like look for that job. It's just it's. I mean, I've dealt with it before, like I said, as an addict that fortunately I had the the runway and the support systems. I didn't, you know, piss that all away. Uh, but some people don't don't have that. You know, the runway is very short and um, the they have no place to go and that they end up on the on the street. So and I don't think anyone, regardless of like what decisions they've made, regardless of what things they've done, um, I think we're all worth more than we're all more than the worst decisions we've ever made. And we're all more than the like worst things we've ever done, you know? And uh, 
we at least deserve a roof over our head. So, so if people are listening and they want to get involved, what is the best way? Obviously, financially helping is great, but if they are a therapist or if they have resources or connections, like what is next for feeding people through plans? Yeah, what is next? I mean, right now I'm just in a tent building mode. Like we are building as many tents as we can, like one tent at a time. Um, every tent costs between $375 just for the basic tent and flooring uh if we outfit it with like a heater cooler and lights we're looking at about 500 a tent so like since last year i've built about a hundred of them um but that's the the night like right now like i said i'm just focusing on that moving target like building more tents getting people safe and warm um you know the future of feeding people through plants would be a full-on food program where we're producing uh, hundreds of meals and delivering them right to people's tents, offering them up to uh, folks in the neighborhood that are experiencing food insecurity, partnering with food pantries and other like mutual aid groups to get food out to folks. Um, but that's, uh, that's really in the future. But right now I'm just looking at like one tent at a time. We're really at one donation at a time. Uh, we'd like to hire our like first staff members Um to help us because right now we're 100 volunteer run um but yeah we we need to bring on some staff as well uh but we're uh yeah that's that's kind of the 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 future right now uh get as many tents as we can there's 1500 people out there um you know we're just going to do as many as we can and let's say someone who is dealing with homelessness hears this or knows um about what you're doing how can they get in touch with you or what's the best way if someone needs a tent this um, winter season? Uh, they can shoot us a message through our website at www.feedingpeoplethroughplants.org. Um, so yeah, shoot us a message there if they know someone that needs one or if they themselves need one. I've gotten emails, I've gotten calls. Um, so, or if someone is like an intermediary, but that's the really the best way. And that's also the best way to get involved if you want to donate, if you want to volunteer. Um, just like come show up just show up with your skills i don't yeah we'll put this all in this episode's show notes as well um and we'll be doing some stuff throughout the holiday season i know in partnership with you to kind of try to raise funds and raise awareness about this because this is not only a chicago-based problem this is a problem in every major city in this country but obviously we need to fix the home front first, and then we can see how we can help others. But I guess if there's somebody who is in a different city and is hearing this and wants to get in touch, like definitely reach out to Andy through his contact to kind of see if you can help your community as well. Yeah. I think if we all take care of our neighbors, like that's really, you know, what it is. Like I can't build tents for everyone, but like you can do this in your neighborhood. You can do this in your city. You can do this. And like, you know what I mean? All you need is a little bit of money and an Amazon account and a couple of hands and, um, and it can get done. So I think it's, uh, yeah, I think if we, we all do this collectively together to improve conditions for folks, like I said, it's not the perfect solution, but it gives people, uh, it gives people a little bit more runway, um, while they're out there and gives them a fighting chance yeah. this winter. And I would also say like, we're approaching the holiday season and I know everyone loves to do gifting and everything, but just take a second and think like, do you need, that extra sweater? Do you need that extra gift? Or could you maybe as like a family or a group decide to make a donation to help this? Because 
while you are opening gifts on Christmas morning or during the Hanukkah season, um, there's a lot of people who are just outside in the cold and how much like a donation of between like 375 or $500 can truly make such a incredible impact on somebody's lives. So thank you for everything you're doing. I end every episode with the same three questions. The first question is if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would it be? A quote or a mantra? Um, I don't know. I just talk less and do more. So really talk less and do more. Um, the time for, when it comes to a lot of things, I think the time for planning, the time for, a lot of people get stuck planning and trying to make things perfect and they never do anything. Like just do shit. That's it. I couldn't agree more. Uh, the second question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you choose? If I could relive any one day, which one would I choose? Um, I'd probably, these questions are hard. Yeah, if I could relive one day this year, it would be my birthday. It would be my birthday. And the reason why, it was just such a perfect culmination of all the people and like all the love and all the community that I've created while sober it was um i threw myself a giant party i'd never never done that for, i've never celebrated myself um and it was the kind of party that i i always had dreamed of when i was a drinker you know when i drank i was like wow i wish i had like friends like this i wish you know i always wanted these things but but it was never possible because i never had the money for it and i wasn't really doing anything to create community um and it took quitting drinking to like get to that point where it's like, wow, I have some amazing people around me and I get to celebrate with them. So um, yeah, I'd say it was my birthday. I would relive my birthday this year. I will say that's actually where we finally got to meet in person was at that party. And I like told everyone I went to the coolest party. It, everyone there was just so amazing and sweet and the energy and just like all these people were coming to celebrate you and raise money for feeding people through plants. And it was just such an amazing vibe that I think it was probably one of the best like events I've been to all year. And with my role, I do a lot of events. So um, definitely kudos to you for creating like such an amazing tribe of people in your world. The yeah, final, no, thank you. Yeah. The final question is if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you choose? Oh, damn. Okay. Um, I would choose, I was in my truck the other day and this song came on and I was like, okay, I'm going to put this on repeat. Uh, it'd be Dear Summer. Um, I think it's by Daisy and Memphis Bleak. So oh, yeah. I will go ahead and add that song to the For Your Listening Pleasure theme song playlist so guests can hear your theme song as well as every other guest song as well. Andy, thank you again so much. This has been such an impactful and informative conversation. I love everything you're doing. I can't wait to help and be a part of it and kind of watch this grow. You're doing such important work and I guess just keep going. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Miller. 